Good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you here, and, and welcome to everybody online who's joining us. Thank you for uh, being with us. My name is Dan. If I haven't met you yet, thanks for, for being here. If you're new with us, um, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, at the uh, exits, there should be, yep, there are connection cards on top of the boxes at the exit. If and when you feel comfortable telling us about yourself, you can tell us a little info on there, and uh, we'd love to get back to you and find out more about you. But thank you so much for being here. Uh, to worship the Lord during these strange days. Um, so glad to be with you guys, and uh, I'm excited about the message the Lord's put before us today. If you have your Bible, um, please turn with me to Ephesians 5, chapter 1. Excuse me, verse 1. Let me see. Uh, this week I read an amazing story told by a veteran who flew combat choppers in Vietnam. And he said that one night during the Vietnam War, he was radioed to a secret mission that required him to fly at night in total darkness, uh, totally by instruments. And he, as he hovered above the jungle uh, in total darkness with a heavy cloud cover, he said that uh, you could cut the darkness with a knife. And it was a pretty tense situation. And when he finally came near the spot where he was supposed to land, he radioed to his man on the ground, said, hey, what can you give to guide me in? And the man said he had no flares, he had no flashlight to guide the helicopter in. Uh, but landing the chopper in the middle of this dense jungle had to be so precise that if he was off by five feet on either side, he would crash the helicopter and everybody would be killed most likely. And so finally, the, the guy on the ground was looking around what he had and he said, I have a Zippo. <laughs> and the pilot radioed back, well, light it and hold it up. And on a secret night mission in the jungles of Southeast Asia, a combat pilot landed his chopper by the light of a Zippo lighter um, that pierced the darkness of that jungle. And it just reminded me that just one little light in the middle of the darkness can make all the difference in the world. It's so true. And Christians, you are the light of the world. That's what God says. God wants you to shine the warm light of Christ in the middle of this dark place we're living. In Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus told his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And in the section of Ephesians we've been looking at the past few weeks, the Apostle Paul's been telling us uh, to imitate God and to learn how to walk the way that our Father walks. And last week, Paul told us to walk in love. And today, Paul tells us to walk in light. And then next week, Paul's gonna tell us to walk in wisdom. So walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. This is how to walk in the Lord. So let's read then today's passage, Ephesians 5, 1 to 14. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's the word of the Lord. In the Bible, God often uses this metaphor of darkness and light to symbolize spiritual realities. And in this passage, darkness symbolizes impurity and lies, as we've read. And light symbolizes, excuse me, yeah, darkness is impurity and lies, and the light is purity and truth, okay? So they're opposites. When God saved us through faith in Jesus Christ, he radically changed us, is what this passage says. He changed us from darkness to light. Let's look at verse eight again. It says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Okay, so before we trusted in the Lord, we not only lived in darkness, we not only belonged to the kingdom of darkness, but it says we were the darkness. We embodied impurity and lies in our bodies and in our souls. We were the darkness. And so far in this letter, Paul has described several times what we loved and how we lived when we were darkness. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, remember it says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, he said, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And if you remember, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ talked about this uh, in his public ministry on earth too. He said that when we were darkness, we hated him because he is the light. 
In John 3, 19 to 21, he said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is pretty powerful stuff. We used to live in darkness. We used to be the darkness. We used to delight in the darkness. So the question is, what changed us in Christ? What changed our hearts? The passage says, the Lord. That's the answer. The Lord changed you. Look at that verse. At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord in the Lord. You're not light on your own, you're light in the Lord. So we did not become light because we started to behave better. We did not become light because we started to think more positively. We did not become light because our circumstances improved. No, we became light because the Lord made us light. Is that amazing? He made us alive, it says, when we were the darkness. He made us alive when we were dead in our trespasses. Ephesians 2, 4 to 5, it says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? By grace. So because of God's love for you, And by his grace alone, God changed you. That's why he changed you from darkness to light when you put your faith in the Lord. What does that mean exactly? It means that God united us to himself, to Jesus, who is the true light of the world. Is that interesting? Because he said in his ministry, I am the light of the world. And then he knew he was gonna depart. And so he says, you are the light of the world, okay? So the light of the world, the true light, Jesus entered us by his Holy Spirit when we trusted in him. And now while the true light of the world is in heaven and we're on earth with his spirit abiding in us, we are the light, church. (laughs) This is an incredible blessing and responsibility and privilege. And, And think about this, what does light do? When you think about light, what does it do? Light shines in the darkness. Light reveals reality, right? Light exposes hidden places. Light warms. Light attracts. Light gives life. What would our plants be without light, right? Light guides and light protects. And so Christians, these are the type of things God wants to use us to do, to push back the darkness in this world. And so Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, 8 to 10 here, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. God made us into children of light, is the phrase he uses here, and it's, well, the, the gist of what Paul's been saying in this, well, since chapter three here in Ephesians is the Lord is now teaching us how to walk as children of light, how to walk the way Jesus walks. That's what it means to be a disciple, 
to follow Jesus, to be a follower of, some, of him, to become more like him. And so in verse nine, Paul says that, uh, he describes the fruit that our lives produce when we're walking in the light, okay? And so he says we produce fruit that's good, right, and true when we're walking in the light. And good fruit means, uh, this word means generous, means we're, we live generously, uh, we live gently, we live kindly, we live humbly. So God, goodness is the opposite of the darkness, it's the opposite of malice, it's the opposite of greed, it's the opposite of arrogance. Right fruit or righteous fruit means that we seek to live holy lives in obedience to God's commands, okay? We don't live in obedience to the world's ever-changing definitions of right and wrong. Holiness is defined by God because he is holy, okay? And true fruit means that we seek to live lives of integrity, of truth. We, we don't change our values, we don't change our actions depending on who we're hanging out with or whether we're at school or not or whether we're at work or not or whether we're you know, hanging out with our friends somewhere else or not. It means I am who I am wherever I am. <laughs> I'm not gonna put on a different mask. And it, it, it means we speak the truth in love as ambassadors of the truth, okay? Now obviously, these types of fruit are spiritual fruit. They are created by the Holy Spirit. And we only grow these fruit for the glory of God um, when we're abiding in God, when we're abiding in Christ. And that's because the Holy Spirit of Jesus is our pipeline for power. Okay, that's what Jesus talks about in John 15. Abide in me and I in you, right? We can't, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's it's, it's how it is. He is our pipeline for power. And so Christians, as we think about this and we think about how far, far you know, I think about, oh boy, good, true, right, fruit. What does that look like in my life? I've, I can name a lot of works that are not that way in my life. I fall really short of this. Uh, real quick, we can hit ourselves on the head, you know, and beat ourselves up about this. Well, this is why we need Jesus and the gospel, okay? Because it changes our motivation. It gives us pure, true, right motivations. So Christians, we don't seek to grow good, right, and true fruit in our lives in order to keep God loving us as if we could do that. Uh, we don't seek to grow good, right, true fruit in our lives because we are afraid that God will condemn us if we don't do that. Rather, we believe that through Jesus' death and resurrection, the Father has already displayed his eternal love for us, okay? Jesus was condemned on the cross for sin in our place so that God will never condemn us. That's why it says in Romans 8.1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's, that's great news, right? And it's because of that great news that um, th this great news of the Father's love and acceptance that we have through Christ, that now we pursue goodness, now we pursue righteousness, now we pursue holiness and truth in our lives because we wanna bring glory to him. We wanna bring glory to our God who has saved us and who loved us. We wanna shine his light in this world and for all of the universe to see. And then in verse 10, Paul adds that another part of walking in the light means trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, trying to figure out 
what is pleasing to the Lord. Because we want to please the Lord in all that we do, right? We want our lives to be like Jesus' life. We want to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, there is a wrong way to do this, a wrong way to discern what's pleasing to the Lord, and there's a right way <clears throat> to discern what's pleasing in the lo- uh, to the Lord. The wrong way is to assume that God is exactly like us and to assume that God thinks exactly like us. And so that would mean, well, whatever I think is right must be pleasing and right to God, right? Because I couldn't worship a God who's not like me. But if you've ever read the Old Testament book of Judges, you know that some of the worst times in humanity's history was when, quote, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It repeats that refrain over and over and over and over again. Proverbs 30, 12 says, there are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Hmm. So that means even if I think I'm clean, even if I think I'm true, even if I think I'm right with God, that doesn't necessarily mean I am. If I'm the one, if I'm playing the game by my rules, right? Instead, um, instead of us deciding what is pleasing and right and then projecting that onto our idea of God, what we need to do is get to the bottom of what God says is pleasing and right and then project that onto us, okay? And thankfully, we as Christians in the year 2020 (laughs) have what the Christians in Ephesus did not have in the year 62 AD. We have God's written word in its totality in the Old and New Testaments, okay? So everything God tells us to do in his word tells us this is what is pleasing to me. This is what is right. And, and so our effectiveness then in pleasing the Lord and in shining his light to the world is directly connected to what we believe about his word and how much we submit ourselves to it and, and to the gospel found in his word. So this is how Paul phrased it in Philippians 2, 14 to 16. He said, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may bl- be blameless and innocent Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And what are you doing as you shine as lights in the world? Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So when we hold fast to God's word of life, and produce fruit in keeping with what his word of life says is good and right and true. Our lives shine God's light and it shines God's love to the world around us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So when we, by God's grace, produce fruit, that is good and right and true and done in Christ's name, our goal should not be for the world to pat us on the back. Rather, our goal is that others would see the fruit that God is producing in our lives and that the world would then give glory to God. We want the world to know Jesus, amen? 
because it is God's light that we're shining to the world. We don't claim this light. We were darkness. It's only by grace that he made us light. We can claim if there's any goodness, any kindness, any truth, any righteousness in my life, it's not because of me. It's because of the Lord's grace and what he's done in me. And so that is why we we just want the Lord to get all the glory um, for the light that he's put in us. Now, as I thought about this this week, what does this look like practically? Well, several members of our church family are suffering with cancer right now, as you know. And two of those people who came to my mind who were recently diagnosed with liver cancer are Mark Copeland and Jeff Hagland. And as they have begun appointments and procedures and surgeries and treatments in recent weeks, uh, it's been so amazing to watch how God is shining his light through these men in the midst of their suffering. Because I mean, I call these guys to encourage them and they end up encouraging me. It's amazing. And uh, I was talking to Mark, he, he, and he told me that it's hard, as hard as this has been, he's so thankful that the way he has sensed the Lord's presence with him, when the, when, the, when the side effects of the medicine are so bad, he can't sleep at night, and all he can do is just go downstairs and sit in a chair and crack the door, and he feels the Lord with him. I mean, that's, that's so awesome. And he said that this cancer has given him an opportunity to tell so many people now about the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. He's like, I'm sharing the gospel more than I ever have before. <laughs> wow, praise God. And Jeff has done the same thing. He has these carrying bridge updates and he shares a Bible verse at the end of every one and he shares the, the hope that he has in Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people reading that carrying bridge, believers and non-believers alike. It's just one instance I thought of what it looks like to shine the light. And so many of you are in suffering and doing the exact same thing. It is God's grace, it's God's power alone that fills us with his light in order to shine his goodness and his righteousness and truth, even in suffering, and sometimes the most in suffering. So may God help all of us, whatever station of life we're in right now, may he help us to see opportunities around us to shine his light in the darkness. And even when we don't see opportunities, we trust that by simply abiding in Christ and living for his glory, we're shining his light in our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, in ways we don't really know because we don't know what all God is doing, right? But we just wanna be faithful to him and live, live for the glory of his name. Now, um, let's, let's keep looking here at verses 11 and 12. Paul gives us further instructions on how to walk as children of light. He writes, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul tells us to take no part in the works of darkness. And uh, he's described those before, but the, the works of darkness would include all impurity, unrestrained sensuality, and he doesn't even go into detail because, uh, I mean, the, the Greek word is porneia, from which we get the word pornography, which refers to all types of sexual sin. Um, it refers to greed, malice, hatred, darkness. Um, the, the, these works of darkness um, are those things that are not good, 
are not right, are not true according to God's word. And what's interesting is, is Paul says these works are unfruitful. And he, you know, with this kind of botany analogy, he's talking about how we produce fruit with the light. What kind of fruit do you produce when there's zero light? Nothing. It's unfruitful. Th- these works are totally, they, they, they don't benefit us at all. Uh, even we, we think it feels good for a minute or we, we think, oh man, this gives me a high for a little while or this makes me feel accepted and loved. The reality is these works of darkness you aren't engaging in produce no benefit to you, to your loved ones, to your family, to our society, or to our eternities. They're unfruitful. <clears throat> and instead, Paul tells us to do this. What is, he uses the same word Jesus used in that John 3 passage. He tells us to expose the unfruitful works of darkness. So one of the purpose of shining God's light is to expose dark and hidden sins and dark habits and dark injustices in our world. Uh, Exposing the works of darkness though is not something that you do carelessly. Okay. It's something we do prayerfully. It's something we most often do gently. Uh, we don't expose the darkness by attacking others with Bible verses. That's not what this means. You're evil. I'm going to beat you up with the Bible. No, it's not what it means. We're not shaming people for their sin. Okay. What we want is exposure, healing, and restoration for the church and for humanity, right? And so we ask, um, well, sorry, I was gonna say this. Attacking us is not how God won our hearts, right? Romans 2, 4 says that the Lord's kindness is what led us to repent from sin. The kindness of the Lord. And before shining the light of Christ on other people's dark places, we have to start by shining the light of Christ on our own dark places. And so we ask the Lord, this is, you know, we pray with David, Psalm 139, 23 to 24, search me, O God, know my heart, know every part of this heart, my motivations, my desires, my hidden chambers, search it all, know it, Try me, know my thoughts, know what I'm thinking and see if there's any grievous way in me, any way that grieves you, Lord, and then lead me in your way, the way everlasting, the way that is fruitful, that is beneficial, that does bring you glory and that does pursue my greatest good. That's a good prayer to pray. So it does force us to ask some questions about ourselves. Um, Christian, what dark things do you do that you don't want other people to know about? That's a good question to ask yourself. Are there patterns of sin in your life that have become such a habit that you have become very sophisticated at hiding it? What are these idols, these false gods in the shadows of your heart that need to be exposed by the light of God's truth, by the light of his love? And this, as we do that, we need to know this. The Lord loves you. The Lord loves you as you do that, okay? 
What lies are you believing and trusting in instead of the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ? So ask the Lord to bring these things to the surface so that you can have freedom, so that you can have integrity, so that you can have abundant life, the life that he wants for you. Um, So we start with ourselves. And then we can ask, how do we expose the unfruitful works of darkness outside of ourselves? Well, fundamentally, I think what we will find here is that we must kindly tell others the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ. I know it sounds simple, but it really does come to the good news of Jesus. And here, what I'm primarily thinking about is not only the the historical facts of Jesus' death, life, death, and resurrection, but I'm thinking of three aspects of that gospel, three implications of, 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 of that gospel for us as it relates to exposing darkness. And first I would say this, um, we expose the unfruitful works of darkness outside of ourselves um, by helping people see the seriousness of sin. The seriousness of sin. Um, you know, last week's passage, <laughs> it got real quiet in here. That was a hard passage. And it's because it's the word of God and we saw that God loves us so much that he warns us. And he specifically was warning those who are unrepentant in sin, meaning those who don't want to hear God's thoughts, those who don't want to change, those who don't want to live in the light. Um, Well, we have to explain to people that God loves them so much. He loves uh, the world so much that he will not let evil have the last word in this universe and in your life. That's good news, okay? And we have to realize that, especially in our very unchurched now and um, biblically illiterate society, that many believers may have never read verses like Ephesians 5, 5 to 6. And we don't say it to, again, not as a weapon, but like this is the Lord who loves you, and you really should read, see this, that he says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who's sexually immoral or impure or who's covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. You do not have eternal life. You don't have, you're not a child of God, but you don't have to stay there, right? But he says, let no one deceive you with empty words because we have a lot of empty words in our society and in the church, which is very sad. People will say, well, that's not, I was watching a little documentary last night. Well, that's not the God I worship. That's not the God of the Bible. I'm like, well, that's because you're not reading the Bible, right? God is, your God cannot be a God that you create or it's just an idol like every other God. If you want to know the true God of the universe, Jesus Christ, you read his word, right? It says, let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, I'm not gonna get into all the nuances of how this could look, but obviously I would say this, if we do this in love and God gives us opportunities to kindly, graciously share the truth of his word with others, the fact is that even if non-believers reject these words, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. And that, that's very sad. 
but that is our job as ambassadors to love people and to share the truth of God with them. The fact is though, wouldn't we like to know at least we've done our part to pray for non-believers and to share God's truth with them even when it makes us feel awkward, right? And so um, that's what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. We need to help people, including us, see the seriousness of our sin and that includes eternal seriousness and also, honestly, just so much brokenness that comes on earth because of our choices that we could um, be rescued from if we repent and turn to Jesus. Okay, second, we help people see the impotence of their idols. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see this over and over and over and over again. The impotence of our idols. God says that the works of darkness are completely unfruitful. They're useless. They're unhelpful. They're not beneficial to us in any way. And, and likewise, the false saviors, the idols that we look to instead of God, they're the exact same. They're, they're of no benefit to us. They, they can't really take away our pain. And some of you might be like, well, what is he talking about, false idols? Well, I'm telling you that what Scripture says is that you were created to know God and worship him for the glory of his name and for your fullest joy. And in this life, you are gonna worship stuff, period, because you're a worshiper. That's what you do. You love to, you love to watch the Seahawks. I'm not saying you worship the Seahawks, but this is what you love to do. You love to watch a play and say, dude, that was awesome. I'm gonna text a friend. Did you see that? You wanna share awesome things with other people. You wanna say, wow, that Grand Canyon is incredible. Facebook wouldn't exist if we weren't worshipers. Twitter wouldn't exist, right? That's what we do. And, and so I'm not saying, hear me right, I'm not saying those things are necessarily an idol. I'm just using an example that we were made to point to things and say, that is awesome. And what we can't do is take things, created things, and put them in the place of the creator and worship them instead of our God. Because not only does that rob God of, of the glory that he alone deserves, it robs us of the relationship and the power of abiding in God that we need. <laughs> you know, our false gods can't really take away our pain. They can't in a lasting way. They can't really provide the security we want. They cannot give us peace in our suffering. Um, Hurting yourself won't give you what you really need. Drugging yourself won't really give you what you really need. Your spouse, your friends, your reputation can't really give you what you really want and really need. And your job, your bank account, your possessions, they can't really satisfy your soul. Our idols are truly impotent. And so what we have to do is point one another to the promises and wonder of God and his word and help one another see that our false saviors that we are looking to, and we may not even realize we're looking to, can't truly save us or satisfy us. And instead, we need to help one another see that only the Lord Jesus Christ can truly help us. He alone truly has the power to meet us where we're at to fill our hearts, and to satisfy our souls. Psalm 96, five to six says, 
For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. The psalmist is telling us that the Lord is so much better than all idols in all works of darkness. And third, we help people see the glory of God. We need to live by God's grace. We need the, spout, the, the Spirit's power in our life to live like we believe that Jesus is better. We need to live as Christians that we believe Jesus is better than every pleasure found in the world. Right, we gotta tell one another, we gotta tell non-believers, man, how great God is, how holy he is, how merciful God is, how gracious God is towards sinners, how unlike us God is. People need to see what they're missing out on without Christ. People need to see all that they can become in Christ if they trust in him and follow him. People need to see the glory of God. That's what we need. And as we do all this, as we shine the light in the darkness, the passage says we can expect a variety of reactions. Um, as Jesus talked about, some people will respond in anger. And some people will want to remain ignorant of God and his good news. I don't know if you ever tried telling somebody the gospel and then they just interrupt you. And it's like you can't even get through. They don't want to hear it. Um, they they want to stay in the dark, just like we did. And so what do we do? We pray for them. We, we're still kind to them. We still love them. That's one way that we're, Jesus told us to be very different from the world. He said, listen, I want you not to hate your enemies. I want you, you to love them. I want you to bless them. I want you to pray for them. That's what God is like. <laughs> That's incredible. And he said, this is what's amazing though. As we get to the end of this passage, he says some people though, as we shine the light of the gospel of Christ, will respond differently. God will use us to speak the light of the gospel to them and he will actually break into their souls in such an overwhelming way that they will not only see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but they will then respond to that sight with repentance and faith in Jesus. Is that amazing? That's what exactly, that's what happened to us, right? For believers, we heard the gospel. We were, we were saved. God opened our eyes. Verses 13 to 14 then say this. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So when we shine God's light to the world, we're not only showing the world what God is like, but the light of the gospel actually has power to transform the darkness. You hear that? To change the darkness. The Holy Spirit can use his light as he wills, as the, he's like the wind as it blows. He can use his gospel to wake up sleepers like he did. He made us alive when we were dead. He raises people from the dead spiritually and he can use the gospel to shine the glory of Christ upon people's souls in a saving, eternally redemptive way. Don't you want to be part of that? I do. 
I want God to use me for his glory in that way. Christians, this is our calling. This is our identity. We are children of light now. So what Paul's saying is this is what you are by God's grace. So now live out what you are. So let's shine the light of Christ brightly for the glory of his name and for our, at the same time for our own joy in Christ and also for the sake of so many people living in this dark world who need to see the light. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, thank you. You are the light of the world. God, thank you for uh, not hiding yourself under a basket, but for coming into the world and shining brightly, um, for laying down your life for us, for rising from the dead, God. Thank you for breaking into our lives through someone or some word we read or the, the scriptures that we opened and we saw the gospel and, and you opened our eyes and you shone the light of the truth of the gospel on our hearts in such a way that we turned from sin and saw that you were what we've always been looking for and we trusted in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters today, God, that whatever they're going through, you would fill them with power that you would help them to examine dark places in their lives with the light of your word so that they can find peace and freedom and grace in you. And that as we, as your lights in this world go, expose dark places that we would just be your ambassadors of grace and hope and truth and abundant life to this place. Thank you that you use broken vessels like us to do that, God. And uh, our hope is in you, and we just so thank you that uh, we're not motivated by fear to do these things, but it's by joy knowing that we're already totally accepted and loved by you in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, amen. All right. Amen. Hey, so good to see you guys all here today. It's 11 o'clock. If you got kids, you can pick them up next door if they went to junior church. Um, and you're welcome to hang out a few minutes and talk to. I hope you have a great week. God bless you. <laughs>